Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and it's time for a visit from our very own Captain Canada, Scott <laughs> Lizakowski. Scott, you, you didn't like, you didn't like uh, being sort of the, uh, the numbers guy, so how about uh, Captain Canada? Because I know you're a big Canada fan. Yeah, that's right. I'll be, I'll be Captain Canada. Big, sounds like a big role to play, but I'm, I'm up for the challenge. Well, I, I know you're out there cheering for the Vancouver Canadians regularly. That's right. The season ticket season holder. Ticket holder. Yeah. yeah, and I, I'm sure you're a big fan of the Canuck. Uh, I'm still still a diehard, uh, still a diehard Leaf fan, unfortunately. Oh, wow. So living living that uh, living that life, and then um, I was I was on the uh, tank for uh, Bedard camp for the Canucks. Oh yeah, clearly didn't do it. So uh, hopefully that means they're turning things around. Yeah. Now uh, I'm I'm pretty excited because my my beloved Denver Nuggets are in the NBA championships for the, uh, for the first time ever. Dave, so you, you definitely uh, have an eclectic sports affiliation portfolio. That is, I don't know many people who are diehard Denver Nugget fans. Th- there, there's not many because they have a legacy very similar to the Vancouver Canucks, which is to, to, to really not ever win. But it's exciting when they, when you win a cheer for a losing team and, and they win, it's exciting and let's just uh, let's let's segue that into Canadian markets because for the for much of the the previous decade, uh, U.S. versus Canada, U.S. always wins. But we we saw that shift up a little bit uh, as we come out of the pandemic. Uh, but 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 we got the potential where where some of that is 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 going to stall. So we we were together about a month and a half ago. I was watching you do a presentation, and there were a lot of really great positive signs around Canada. But we look at the month of May. I think you just mentioned before we we got on that Canada's down about three percent this month. Uh, I mean, not that 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 anything else around the world is doing particularly well, but but you know what the Canadian market is made up of is is struggling in this environment and may continue to struggle. Why don't Why don't you talk about? makeup of the Canadian market and and why you may see Canada struggle in the short term. And then we'll come back to why we get so excited about Canada longer term. Right, right. We, we've talked about the composition of the Canadian market many times on this on this podcast that it's uh, it's quite different than than, say, the U.S. market or even even the global markets, which, you know, Canada has a lot of exposure to what we call cyclical sectors. So energy, commodities, uh, financials would count into that industrials and that's that's you know three quarters of the market in Canada and if you compare that to something like the US market uh, it's probably only a third of the US markets the US yeah. market is much more uh, more broadly diversified it has more exposure particularly today to things that are sort of more higher growth uh, technology healthcare consumer uh, communications media etc so that that sort of has a implications for the Canadian market and relative performance uh, versus the U.S. market, particularly as it ties to the economic cycle. So when we were presenting to clients uh, a few weeks back, we were sort of sharing the message of, you know, investors today, particularly Canadian equity investors, need to sort of think in this uh, two time frames. Um, and I, it's, it's a bit of a good news, bad news story, starting with the bad news is that, you know, it in the short to medium term, and I call that sort of a one to, you know, maybe six, 12, 18 months, who, who knows, but the, the shorter term, um, you know, as we sort of are on the doorstep of 
an economic recession, slowdown, whatever the flavor is, uh, that is going to weigh heavily on these cyclical sectors. That term cyclical means they're more tied to the economic cycle. And so therefore, you know, if we are heading into a recession um, or a slowdown of some extent, you're going to see that pressure on the cyclical sectors, commodities, um, financials. And you're already starting to see it. As we know that the stock market is forward looking, it's starting to contemplate what does an economic slowdown mean for things like um, consumption of commodities. And, you know, we, we talked that uh, you know, the commodities stocks and, and sectors had a really strong couple of years. Uh, but if we look at it on a year to date basis, you know, we're seeing copper is down, iron ore is down, uh, oil is down, natural gas is down a lot. So we're seeing some of that, um, you know, that sort of concern about commodity demand and an economic slowdown start to present itself in the commodity prices. And of course, the stocks even lead the commodity prices. Uh, so we're seeing that sort of uh, play itself out. Uh, you could argue that there's still, you know, if we actually go into a recession or something more significant of a slowdown, um, there's there's likely to be more downside. So the short term is somewhat negative for Canada because because of that cyclicality um, and that exposure to things like commodities and, and economically sensitive sectors, uh, financials. Um, I won't steal the uh, Stu's Day's uh, thunder and talk about bank reporting, but, yeah. you know, banks have been under pressure. They're they're very cyclical thinking about credit and the credit cycle and, and, and their exposure to the economic cycle. So, you know, that that's really weighed down on Canada. So while we had a really nice run of relative outperformance, uh, which we've talked about many times, the, the discount that the Canadian market trades at relative to the U.S. and the strong relative outperformance that we saw last year and even to some extent the year before, uh, we're giving some of that back today. So, you know, you, you talked about, um, you know, it's been a rough month for Canada. It's down sort of three, three and a half percent. SP 500 is only down one and the NASDAQ is actually up. And, and if you look at it on a year to date basis, um, <clears throat> the TSX is up 3%, which is roughly, you know, maybe a, a little bit behind the S&P 500, but the NASDAQ is up close to 20%. So there's there's a lot of sort of uh, bifurcations happening in the market. And that, that you know, re- relative underperformance for Canada uh, is sort of presenting itself today. Now, that's sort of the bad news, uh, yeah. you, you know, won't, won't leave you there. The good news, and this is more of a longer term thought, and this is you know, this is more fits into our time frame. We're very mindful of the sort of the short and medium term, but you know, the real investing uh, opportunities I think exist in sort of capturing some of these longer term cycles. And and this is something that we probably talked about. You heard uh, this word regime change being thrown around uh, at the beginning of the year uh, in a number of places. It was all over the sort of financial press. So, you know, talking about this idea that you know we're in a very different you know, the regime change is sort of referring to the interest rate environment. And so for the last decade, we had very low and falling um, interest rates. And, and that sort of had a dynamic of what drove sort of leadership and, you know, stocks and sectors that were and, and markets that were outperforming. And now we've sort of reset that and we're in a, you know, a much higher interest rate environment. And who's to know if we're going to be rising from here. But the, the structure of interest rates is is markedly different than what we saw over the last 10 years. And and if we look out over the next 10 years, we are potentially heading into an environment where, you know, maybe it's not, um, 
you know, high and rising interest rates, but we're not in that low and falling uh, environment anymore. And that has important implications for leadership amongst stocks and sectors and, and then, of, of yep. course, markets. And then tying it back into Canada, you know, and this is the message we were sort of sharing with investors over the last couple of weeks in, in our presentations is that, you know, as it relates to the commodity cycle, you know, th- these are very long term cycles. So I think about economic cycles are sort of shorter term in nature, even though an economic cycle would take, you know, on average three, four or five years to play out from recession to recovery, you know, back to recession again. Um, these commodity cycles are, are very long term capital cycles, you know, that the investment cycles for the for the stocks tend to match the capital cycles for the underlying industry. Um, so if, if you're, you know, in the commodity sector, the, the capital cycle is, you know, you think about the amount of time it takes to invest the capital, whether you're building a, an oil sand, oil sands plant or a, a, a copper mine or any sort of significant new supply of a commodity, the amount of time it takes to, to uh, invest the capital, bring the, to build the project, bring it online and then recover your capital and, and then earn a return on that capital that's a that's a multi-year and, and perhaps a decade-long type of, a, of investment cycle, and that sort of drives the you know the the relative performance cycles of, of the stock. So we are coming out of a decade-long period of underinvestment in across most commodities, um, and and that uh, you know as we move into a period, we've sort of created an environment of uh, somewhat scarcity. That's what we saw. That's those sort of spiking prices. Uh, and high and spiking prices that we, we saw over the last couple of years across a number of commodities, um, you know, we're heading into that period where we've created the scarcity and we need to have a higher price to incent new new production, new supply to be brought on. And that plays out really, really well for Canada. And, you know, it, 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 it the exact sort of picture of how it plays out <clears throat> as it relates to what commodity, it, you know, it's hard to tell. Uh, you know, we're, we're obviously in the midst of an energy transition. So the types of commodities and the types of investment may look different over the next 10 to 20 years than it did over the last 20 years in terms of which commodities are, are being invested in, which commodities are leading or lagging. But, but the, the important thing is the amount of capital that needs to go into the ground in, in the commodity sector, whether it's in copper, lithium, gas, oil, uh, is significant, and then of, of course we have the energy transition conversation about um, carbon capture, net zero, etc. That that's going to require a lot of investment. So that significant amount of investment uh, will be beneficial for for the Canadian market. You have a lot of that sort of capital, uh, economically sensitive uh, sectors that that will benefit from that in, in in our market. So that's over the longer term that sets up for a a good news story for Canada. And, and Scott, though, but from a supply standpoint, as as much as as much as that investment is needed in in that sector, even even if even if you are are your your view is that we are we are moving into a transition transitionary period or transitory period for uh, one of one of our favorite words of the last couple of years, uh, you know, is is that money going to be available to to in to invest and and to to build to the extent that uh, we have through previous cycles like this because there's just not an appetite to invest in into businesses that may not be producing at the same level or need to produce at the same level 20, 30, 50, 70, however many years 
uh, the, the transition goes? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question and, a, and a, an important observation. And you know that sort of explains how we ended up in that spiking commodity price environment in the last year or so. Um, the prices before we had that big price spike about a year ago were high, high enough to incent new supply. And I mean, if I think specifically about oil, uh, we were in the sort of the 60, 70 ish range, maybe even up, upwards of 80 prior to the, the events of Russia, Ukraine, which caused the, 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 the prices to spike that that signal <coughs> was not actually being you know, received by the producers. And there's a number of reasons why. One, that long-term nature of, of the capital cycle. So if you're, you know, if we were running a, a, a large oil company, we would be thinking about, we'd see the oil price and we'd say, well, the oil price is actually sort of telling us something. It's giving us a signal that the price is sufficiently high enough that we can invest in some of our projects to bring on new supply and, and the economics would make sense. The problem is, you know, that's a 10-year investment cycle to put the money in, bring the project on and get your money out and then earn a return on that investment. So, you, you know, if we're sitting around the boardroom table saying like, if it's a 10-year, an eight-year type cycle, um, what's demand going to look like in eight to 10 years? Don't know. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the, the, the costs, cost structure is, is different. So there's two elements. Well, there's a number of elements that go into the cost structure, the actual cost of the labor and the materials and the steel that go into the ground. And the other one is that project, when it comes on stream, is going to have a, a carbon cost potentially on it in eight yeah. to 10 years. So you need to factor that into the equation. And then in order to get compensated for those, so there's a lot of risks and uncertainty around, around those, um, uh, the, the, these decisions. And if you're, uh, you know, just like an investor, if you if you're taking on more risk, you need to be compensated in in form of return. Yep. And so, if you thought about, and I'll just use oil as a simple example, historically, uh, an oil company would think about their cost of capital uh, returns, so the minimum return required, and it would be sort of in the let's call it a ten to twelve percent range. So they would think about, okay, this this project costs us X, so we need a commodity price of Y to earn that 10 to 12% returns. But now that we've added these risks to the equation, the companies are sort of saying, well, I would like a higher return. And so typically, you know, the, the cost curve at the 10 to 12% range was probably in the 60, $70 range. But when you take that 10 to 12% and say, it's gonna be 15 or 20, Yep. That cost, the, the price required to earn that type of return is sort of in the $80, $90 range. So you add that to the equation. And then the final piece is that the shareholders of these large oil companies are screaming at them to say, give us our money back. We don't yeah. want you to grow production. We don't want you to do acquisitions. We want you to buy back stock, pay special dividends, grow your dividend, pay down your debt. So that's all those things are sort of swirling around. And that's why, you know, you have not seen there's maybe been on the margin some small incremental uh, inklings towards increasing CapEx to not so much grow production. It's actually just to shrink slower and maintain. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, there was some, you know, without naming specific names, there was a very large super major uh, global super major who 
kind of came out and said, we are not going to decline our production as fast as we originally said. We're actually going to maintain a, a flatter production profile. So it's not actually growing. It's just, I guess it's on the second derivative growing by not shrinking uh, as fast. So that we haven't seen that, you know, and, and when we think about it, we shared this, uh, we had the, a great sort of uh, schematic of like the long cycle and the different phases of each cycle. We're just in the scarcity piece. That's phase one. Phase, you know, you've come out of underinvestment. You're into scarcity. The next one is when the companies start investing again. And of course, they're going to sort of invest too much. It's kind of the pendulum always swinging the other way. And we'll get into that oversupply. But we are nowhere near that. We're we're coming out of underinvestment. We've created the economic or the uh, commodity scarcity. And we haven't, and maybe we're moving in towards the reinvestment phase, but but there is nothing of significance uh, to tell me that we're well into that phase just yet. So it's still fairly early days. So some would say, just 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 looking out at the, you know, we 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 look at at the economic forecast that hey, we're we're likely going into a a pretty significant economic slowdown around the world or or a recession. Uh, but it's a short and shallow recession. So you know, by by the time we get towards the middle second half of next year, we're coming out of that recession, and now all these countries that had been contracting now go back to growing again. Demand for all these things goes up. And as you're suggesting, it's not like you can flip a switch and, and you know, all of a sudden we've got, you know, billions of tons of additional copper coming to market. So, so that puts some upward pressure on it. And, and, and isn't that that next phase of the cycle for, for this? Or, or is that too optimistic a view of how things play out from here? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say what shape and size and magnitude and duration the recession will or will not be. That that's a that's a mugs game. It's too hard. That that's an Eric LaSalle's question. Um, but regardless of the shape, shot, size, magnitude, duration, um, when we do come, like the the thing about cycles is that you know they uh, they don't repeat, but they often rhyme. Um, there is a recovery component to it. And, and when we recover, you're, you're exactly right. You can't just hit the switch. If anything, you need to be investing. Um, you need to be investing today and for the next several years just to capture that long-term demand uh, that that's going to be coming uh, in, in the commodity space. So uh, that's why I kind of say it's a good news, bad news story. The bad news is Canada might suffer in the short term, but the good news is that long cycle is, is a great opportunity for the Canadian economy and the Canadian stock market. Yeah, so I, this is my, uh, my super cycle story, uh, Scott, is uh, I had a, uh, as many, many young Canadian kids back in the 1970s, I had a super cycle bike. It was the first really nice bike I had, and I, I pulled into the local shopping mall, didn't lock it up, went to grab something quick on the way to school. Somebody stole it, and I, I found it uh, a day later, Somebody had mangled it and tossed it off the uh, overpass that we used to walk over the railway tracks and highway to, to go to school. So my my super cycle, which I was expecting to, to have for a long time, wasn't a super cycle anymore. But but my neighbor heard the story and uh, he, he was very handy with bikes and that took my mangled super cycle, souped it all up, even repainted it for me. And then I had a really awesome super cycle that went on for years and years and years. And, uh, and so that's all ultimately what we may be able to get out of here. When we talk about the commodity cycle, we had a, 
had a nice little taste of what a super cycling commodities feels like and looks like in that sector. Now we're getting that pause as the global economy is slowing down. Uh, and then you come back and we still need all this stuff and we don't produce enough of it. So that's where you get that, that next phase. And I think that's, that's, that's why you might be optimistic about Canada, right? Yeah, that, that, that ties in really well to your, uh, your mangled uh, super cycle could be the recession and then the uh, yeah. good neighbor who, who tweaks it up. I was, I was sort of thinking that, you know, to tie it into the, the West coast uh, biking scene that we're going to need a full suspension mountain bike to, uh, to sort of ride the ups and downs uh, o- over the next, uh, you know, six to 12 to 24 months. So, so there we go. We're, 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 we're mixing in the bike medleys. You're, you're, you're a young guy. You grew up with mountain bikes. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm of an older vintage where we didn't have mountain bikes. We just had, uh, we, we, well, <laughs> we did with the technology wasn't there as much and, and cycling wasn't as big in Canada, but that's, uh, but, 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 you know, it, 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 it is interesting and we will get to Stu Cadwell on the, on the banks. Cause that's, that's the other side of this equation when we talk about Canada. Uh, but, but, but again, it, it, it has been a, um, a, a pretty amazing run in, in a lot of these sectors. And I know you, you've, in the portfolios that you manage, you, you've benefited from, from being invested in those areas. Uh, and now you take a pause. And again, there's, well, there's no guarantee that this pulls out the, the, the way you think. But if you look to a future where there is, you know, the next cycle, the next phase of economic growth, that again, takes the demand for all of these things up to higher levels. And again, you just can't, you, you, there, there's just not enough invested in the production of them over, you know, for an extended period of time. So prices rise and that that's going to benefit those companies as they as they manage their production or at least have shown quite a bit more discipline around managing uh, their increases in production or, or, you know, how they go to market and how they manage their 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 assets and resources. Yeah, and I think it's it's an important sort of concept for for investors to keep in mind. It's difficult, but I, I think our listeners are up for the challenge that. You know, if we go into a recession, there's going to be some doom and gloom, and there's going to de- there's going to be some doom and gloom in Canada around commodity prices and the sensitivity of of the stocks and sectors to the to the economic cycle. But that that doom and gloom, we always you know we always say volatility creates opportunity. That doom and gloom will be the mangled super cycle chucked off the overpass, and the opportunity will be for young Dave to f- go to his his neighbor and say, Hey, can you help me out here? And that's going to be a, an exciting opportunity for, uh, uh, for the Canadian market. So, uh, like I said, good news, bad news, bad news may come first, but the, the good news is the friendly neighbor is there to, uh, to put, put the super cycle back together. In the yep. End. And those, those neighbors will be uh, huge economies all over the world. Scott, uh, always great catching up with you. Always enjoy our conversations. Sorry for the silly analogy, but I think it kind of works. It, it does. Uh, oh, great. And, and, and I think for, for a lot of our listeners who are of my vintage, they'll remember maybe they had a super cycle of their own from uh, from one of our favorite retailers here in Canada and uh, and enjoyed that. So uh, but uh, thanks for bearing with me and, and thanks for all the great information, because this is really uh, these are important ideas for Canadian investors to understand about the uniqueness of the Canadian market and then how you need to think about as we go through different cycles, uh, why it why it might uh, race ahead, calm down, and then and then come back again at a, at a later date. So Scott, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Dave.
This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.